This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. And welcome to Pet Chat. I'm Jane Klein and David Tabret. Dr. David Tabret is our vet today. Hello, and what's our special topic? Well, about animals that might not be able to continue with their treatment, so when we have to make a decision to have them put to sleep. Or euthanasia. That's a big one. Mm, mm. Looking forward to that. And Danny Boss will be with us as well and have all the pet news and pet events coming up. And we will be taking your calls from 12.30 today. You're on 2NURFM 103.7 and the program is Pet Chat. And it's a program where you find out everything you need to know about your pets mm. and David. Well, we've covered so many topics, but um, I was prompted after watching uh, the last episode of Bondi Vet and there was a patient that had a spinal uh, problem that um, went ahead with surgery and then had a very long recovery and finally was able to start walking again. And I thought, you know, a lot of people would not be going to that extent. And when do you make that decision about how far do you go and you know maybe yeah maybe you decide that well we're not going to go ahead with this um, for various reasons and have to have your pet put to sleep or euthanasia so and it's a topic that comes up almost well every day uh, um, in my work at the emergency Mm -hmm. center where we're confronted with trauma and critical patients and so on but every veterinarian feels it's difficult. It's a difficult decision for people, and we understand that. And there's often a connection with the past, with past people and events, and a pet is a living reminder. And oftentimes we've had pets that we have, we've faced this decision and people have said, you know, this dog was given um, to me by my husband who's passed away, and there's that connection as well. So it's not just about, you know, the medicine or the problem there and then. It's also about the relationship and that's um i'm often asked people say well what would you do if it's your pet and i can't answer that because it's the relationship that's important it's such a personal thing it is isn't it mm. and when it, when you've had a pet for a number of years and especially if they're getting older like 10 11 they've been such a part of your family they've been with possibly you know growing up with your children and there's photos and it's such a personal thing it can be very hard to make a decision and And even from my point of view like as a breeder there's times you have to make a call when you've bred a litter of puppies and there's a puppy that you know it's not quite well you can't you know on forward that to someone with a problem you have Mm. to make a decision do we have put this puppy down or what yep. do we do with it? Mm. And when the, I, I tend to see my role as um, being an advisor to people to help them make a decision, but ultimately it does have to be their decision. And the advice comes in three areas. And the first area is the medical needs of the patient. The second area is the nursing needs. And the third area is the financial impact. And so from the medical point of view, I can say, look, this is what the pet has, problem, uh, what we need to do. And sometimes it's a case of saying, you know, it doesn't matter if you had the rest of your life to look after this pet. It doesn't matter if you had a million dollars. We can't fix it. And that's a that's one of the factors. The nursing side is really highlighted when we see diabetic patients because I can get a patient through the initial crisis and that's fine, but then I have to say to the person, are you going to be able to give your pet injections every day for the rest of its life, twice a day, 12 hours apart? And for some people, that's just not possible. So they're fully committed to getting their pet healthy, but the maintenance of its health is is going to be a problem. And the third aspect is the uh, financial impact, where I can say to someone, look, this is the cost of this procedure or whatever, but, um, and the example is, say, an animal that's hit by a car, we can get things right tonight, 
but it's going to have to have surgery for its broken leg and so on. So, you know, I don't want to put people under financial stress by not making them somewhat aware of what they're up for. Mm. And then people are able, with that information, I think, to make a, a um, judgment and a decision, an informed consent decision. Mm. Mm. And the example I had, um, I was thinking about this too today on the way in, and there was two examples I remember where probably my judgment was called on both of them. Uh, one was many, many, um, you know, not that many years ago, and I was working at specialist hospital in Sydney, and we had to look after, I was on the emergency service, but we had to look after the specialist patients overnight. So each morning we'd talk about what the pet had been like and done. And I remember this one little dog, it's called Lulu, and it had everything wrong with it, everything. And it used to, I was, I was working there for 18 months, and I think I saw it five times. Like, it just kept coming back. It had heart disease, it had uh, dental disease, it had... Cushing syndrome, which is a hormonal condition that produced too much cortisol, had diabetes, which was at times out of control. It came in to have a skin cancer biopsy, and they found another cancer in its mouth at the same time. And I said to the specialist, I said, guys, don't you think maybe there's a message coming here? That <laughs> Where do you draw the line? They were happy. The owner was extremely happy for this companion dog. And I, I remember going back there two years later, and I said, oh, so how often have you seen Lulu? You know, And they said, oh, no. She hasn't been back in. She's been really healthy. So, you know, she'd just gone through a bad time. And I was ready to say, oh, look, maybe we're going too far. But the the success was there. And the other example I remember was, um, now this is going back a few years, was a, a dog named Willie who was a patient of mine who suffered a spinal injury, very similar to the dog who was on television the other week. And Willie went and had surgery, but it was too bad and he couldn't walk. And the owner looked after him incredibly well and had a cart imported from the United States. Willie promptly broke that cart. And so her husband made another one, which lasted a lot longer because it was Aussie made, of course. <laughs> and um, But the funny thing was Willie lived out at um, uh, Seahampton. And he used to, you know, Seahampton's on the side of a hill. And he used to run down the backyard in his cart, so his front legs are working, and jump off the edge of the rock. <laughs> tumble down in and hit the back fence and then get up and run to the top of the hill and do it again in his wheel in his little wheelchair so he was quite healthy then in the end he um <laughs> he went on and lived for quite a few more years and do you know what he actually ended up getting um heart disease mm. which is a thing that and then that comes back to the question is you know it's a medical condition that we can't cure mm. a cardiomyopathy that cocker spangles get so um it was very sad to bury him for the owners um, i went out and did that but um so it is people's decision, and we're there to make that uh, help in providing information, and we understand what people go through, of course. You're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat, and coming up, we're going to be talking to a guest, Glenn Vernon, about dogs with manners. Stay tuned. And you're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat right now. Danny Boss. We have a special guest now to tell us we about a do. very interesting topic. Well, we often get calls in terms of listeners who've got issues with their dogs who are maybe barking constantly or a dog that's pulling on the lead or a dog that's got anxiety when the when the owner leaves. So I thought it'd be a great idea to get Glenn on the show. Now, Glenn has been involved with dogs since 1973 and he's a Labrador breeder, but he's also the proprietor of Dogs, New, of dogs With Manners and attends the calls of many dog owners who have behavioural issues with their 
their pets. From dogs who don't stop barking to dogs who've got anxiety issues, as we said, Glenn can help to solve them. So welcome to the show, Glenn. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Danny. Does it surprise you the amount of dog behavioural issues that are out there? I have been amazed, actually, mate. Um, there's a lot of people out there that need help, and um, often it can be from anything from like uh, lead training right up to um, dogs that exhibit anxiety issues. So yeah, there's, there's many and varied issues out there. Yeah, so what are the, the issues that you've sort of specialised in, in treating? Okay, mate. Uh, look, I've done everything from lead training, barking issues, dogs requiring basic obedience, um, yep. right up to dogs that, that, that are showing some anxiety issues, yeah. Yeah, and like all those kind of things are so important. It also almost feels like to me before you even get a... A, a puppy, you should maybe think about at least reading some books or getting some training in terms of the knowledge that you need to make sure you bring that puppy up for the first 12 months or so critical, to bring that puppy up in the right way so it is well behaved and not a nuisance to you. I totally agree. Yeah. Now, you, you talked about lead, lead training, uh, one of those issues. Can you tell us some pointers and tips on if your dog is pulling while you're walking, what can you do to stop that from happening? Yeah, no problem. Look, a few tips with lead training. Number one would be control your dog's energy before you leave the yard. Put the, number two, put the lead on high and t- high on the head and firm, not tight, just firm. Uh, keep the lead short. A lot of people want to make, leave the lead really long and yes. wander down the road. So keep the lead short at the stage. Yep. Have the dog sit at the gate or the doorways before you move off. Walk slowly. Very important. Yep. When the dog becomes excited, command him to sit or change direction. They'll forget what they've looked at or what they've got excited at if you change direction or let him sit and look at what's coming coming his way. Yes, in the shop I've often told that to people. If you're walking one way and they're pulling, they're you know, forcing their way forward, if you just stop, turn around 180 degrees and go back 10 steps, that stops that action, doesn't it? Absolutely. It works perfectly. And then yeah. you can turn around again and go forward back to where you were going. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there um, would be, um, if, he, if the dog's... Um, don't move off if the dog's still excited or his energy level's high. Stay, keep him seated and wait for him to come. You'll feel the energy come out of the dog and then start to move off. And um, the other thing I would, would say would be make sure you follow the same routine and structure. You be in control and unreward good behaviour. Oh, okay. Now, that is a, a point that's quite interesting in terms of only the reward, the good behaviour. And we can get confused in terms of Sometimes we might be rewarding them for something that was bad, but we think it was at the right time to give them that treat. The dog doesn't understand that, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if, you, if, you, if a dog's behaving badly and you, make, uh, you give him direction and or um, involve yourself with that bad behaviour, he can often pick up that it is acceptable behaviour. So right. it's far better to ignore the behaviour and only reward good behaviour. What's the best kind of reward, Glenn? Uh, look, I, I use treats. Um, and or a long, firm pat down the back, just a very reassuring pat that everything is fine. So, Glenn, you also mentioned one of the first things when, before you go for the walk is to get that energy out of them. So that, does that mean like play a bit of fetch in the backyard? It, it can mean that, or it also can just mean have the lead, be prepared before you hit the, before you hit the gutter. Most people think about taking the dog for a walk and they don't have anything under control when they hit the footpath. You need to be have the dog under control inside your yard 
like I said, on the shorter lead, nice firm lead, have him under control at the doorway, sitting, ready, and then you, you take control, you, you make the first step, so that there is no, there is no, his energy level hasn't gone through the roof before you hit the road. Yeah, because some dogs can get very excited knowing they're going to go for a walk. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, another issue that we have lots of people calling about is the anxiety issue. So when the owner's away from the home and they come back home, the dog's all over them, it's been barking and is just really terrified when the owner goes away. What can people do? Just a, a few quick pointers. Okay, mate. Um, the, uh, separation anxiety, it's a medical condition and, and one should seek um, advice and treatment from their local veterinarian. Um, some of these, on the other hand, some of these um, symptoms can, be, can also be confused with other behavioural problems. Um, an example I'll use today is um, it's, it's someone, if, you, if you've got to have a problem when you go to get the car keys, the dog starts to carry on, he whines and he gets stressed. Um, when you pick up the car keys, try and ignore that behaviour. Any, any, any response to that behaviour is rewarding bad behaviour or undesirable behaviour. And the best way to do that is if you can practice just picking up the keys many times through a day or whenever you've got some time with the dog, pick up the keys, go and sit back down in the lounge room and, and don't leave. Okay. This, should help, this should help his energy level when you go to eventually do leave. Right, okay. Right. Just little um, techniques, yep. That works. Um, when the dog exhibits, when, when he, and when he starts to exhibit calm, reasonable behaviour while you've been doing the, you know, using this technique, um, reward him. Right, him okay. Treat and or a pat. Reassure him with a nice, long, firm stroke down the back. Mm. All right. Um, the same can be done for when, you, when you're going to take the dog for a walk and he says you put your shoes on and he wants to be excited. Well, you need to practice doing that quite a few times through a day. Over a few weeks, you should be able to take that anxiety out of him. So like anything with dogs, it's repetition, it's, it's training, and with the good, uh, when they have done something right, it's important to give them that, that good, uh, well, the treat, a reward, or that pat. Thank you very much for your help. Okay. All um, right. Thank you very much. Okay, Glenn, bye. Bye. Glenn Vernon, helping us to make our dogs into better-mannered creatures. It's 29 past 12, and you're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat. Um, we're very happy to take your calls. 49216216 will get you through to us, and we look forward to your questions. Dr David Tabret, of course, our pet vet today. And you're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat. 49216216 is the number to ring if you'd like to put a call to our pet vet, David Tabret. Or you do also have the option of sending in an email if you think about something during the week. Contact at 2NURFM.com and just mention Pet Chat in the, uh, in the subject column. But Lee has rung in now. And Lee, you have a question for David? Uh, yes, I do. I have a seven-year-old male greyhound um, uh, who's drinking a lot of water, like he's not uh, doing all that much exercise these days, but um, seems to be, you know, in excess. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's like water diabetes, but he, he does, every time I've let him out and in, he seems to have to have a drink of water. Okay. So, yeah. Do you have any other pets? Yes, I have um, eight others, <laughs> all the same breed, but um, he's a retired one. So um, you're pretty sure that he's um, he is drinking that sort of volume that's a concern just because he's always going to the water bowl, is it? Yeah. 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 One of the things, there's a, there's a wide variation in normal, but um, the general rule is that if for dogs, if they're drinking more than 100 mils per kilo per day, 
or in a 24-hour period, rather, that, um, that that's an excessive amount that's not explained by, you know, temperature, exercise, etc. It becomes a, a, a disease problem. So um, right. measuring it is a bit difficult if you've got a lot of animals, though. Um, and one of the ways you, you I was going to say, one of the ways is just to collect a urine sample um, and get that tested at the vets. Now it's not going to necessarily answer all the questions, but one of the first things they'll be able to discover is whether or not he truly is drinking a lot Okay. because, um, what they do is a measure the, um, what's called the specific gravity. So it's testing, uh, measuring how heavy the sample is a sort of. Um, right, okay. And, and that actually tells us if it's very dilute, then yes, he's drinking a lot. If it's concentrated, um, unless there's lots of glucose in it, like diabetes, then usually they're, they're drinking a, a normal amount. Might be a little bit of variation, but that's the first thing, and that's probably the easiest thing to check. Just make sure that you don't collect the sample. You need to speak to your vet about this, but don't collect the sample in anything that um, had one person bring in once and we said, oh, we could have diabetes. What did you collect it in? And they said, oh, well, this container, but we had um, sweet and sour pork in it last <laughs> night and probably the sugar carried over. So, <laughs> just, yeah. so you just need to be careful that uh, oh, we're not going to get a... Yeah. You, yeah, you can get jars um, and you just need to follow them around and um, get a sample so that you can get that checked. Yep. That's, the, that's the easiest thing to do. It's the first thing to do. There's a whole series of other steps if he is truly drinking excessively because it could be kidney disease, hormonal disease, diabetes, liver disease, brain disease, mm. a whole heap of things. He, he was born with no testicles. Right. They are inside the groin. Um, he never raced. He was. He suffered a trauma at two weeks old, and that's how I got him. Mm. He was attacked by male um, adult um, racing dogs. Yes. Um, yep. And, I, I, look, he lived in the house with me for nine months, and then he came out and just, made out he was a race dog but never was <laughs> um and he the vet did tell me that um they could turn cancerous because yeah because the, yeah, they're just, they're warmer I, mm. yeah i just wondered whether i hope this is nothing that's bringing this or it wouldn't necessarily be connected um but certainly get that checked out get a urine oh, well. sample and yes. i'd always advocate then removal of the testicles because they are going to be at risk of cancer Right, okay. So, but certainly um, get a urine sample check first. I will. Mm. Thank you very much. Okay. Good luck, Lee. Thanks, Lee. And uh, 49216 is the number to get your question through. As I said, you can email in your questions at, to contact at 2NURFM.com. And one that came in yesterday is from Tony at Mayfield. And, David, his story is about his 10-year-old cockatiel, which has become listless, unresponsive and generally out of sorts. Still eating and drinking normally. Disposal system is fine. But very little chirping or whistling or Mm. mimicry going on. And much of the time he sits on the cage floor with his head tucked into his feathers. Not good. Um, the funny thing about birds is that, I mean, at that age too, that um, and change in behaviour is really critically important. They, um, and particularly when they start to exhibit these behaviours. Now, cockatiels are an Australian native bird. They um, are in large flocks in inland Australia, and what they do is they fly fly around into waterholes and so on at dawn and dusk. So they're more active at these times and more and tend to feed. They might roost a bit during the day, but in our house. We're part of the the flock as well. Now, the thing about flock birds is they have what's called a preservation reflex. So if they get sick, they actually 
make themselves look better than what they are because if you're in a flock and you're a sick bird, what happens is uh, the other birds kick you out because you're going to attract a predator like a peregrine falcon. So they don't want you there. So what happens is they're able to actually make themselves look a lot better through their physiological mechanisms. And so when you get to the point where now he's actually showing illness, it's gone beyond that compensatory stage. He's not able to preserve his uh, normal appearance, and so he's, he's gone beyond that. And a lot of birds, when you take them to the vet like that, they'll actually look perfect, and that's why they've, they've still got that little bit of compensatory response. But I would say, um, first of all, get him war- warmed up by p- making a, a, putting a desk lamp right next to him, not a fluorescent, but a globe, because it'll give off some warmth, and then get him to a vet ASAP. Um, and I hope that he's still doing okay, Tony. Oh, gosh. Mm. Mm. Thanks for the um, email, though. That's that's good to get in contact with us. Excellent. Yes. Now, I'd like to ask you a question about a friend of mine, David. Um, they they have a couple of dogs that have been used for breeding purposes or showing purposes, So and after their career breeding, because I understand there's not too much, too many years that dogs are used for breeding, is it? Well, those good dogs with a lot of uh, a really strong pedigree will um, be used for breeding for many years. Ah. Um, but certainly one of the goals I've always said to people too is the goal of breeding is actually to advance the breed. So after you've done that for a couple of years, you're sort of hoping that one of the progeny might be a better prospect, you see. In so, yeah, there's a, there's a limit to it in, in that respect. And in terms of pure breed dog breeders, there's a code of ethics that they're not allowed to breed after six litters. Uh-huh. So your, your girl can only have six litters, and generally you want to rest them per year after each litter. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they might have a fairly short mm. breeding. How many litters in a year, or does that vary? Well, they, the cycle is every six months, but if right. she has a litter, say, mm. this time round, then you need to leave it another year before you breed from her again. Ta- takes a lot out of them. Mm. Okay. That's right. So after they've done their breeding, had their breeding career, or been shown while they're still beautiful and in, in the, the, the glory of youth, um, they've, the, the dogs have gone out as pets to a family, um, but the dogs are actually quite timid. Yeah, one of the things that's very important with dogs, and particularly in families, then is that their socialisation, and oftentimes the dogs that um, coming from breeders and show environments where there's a large number of dogs, they they're probably well socialised with other dogs, not so well socialised with young kids running around, and that time is really at around about the you know ten to twelve week, eight to twelve week age of the pup so once they go out as as adult dogs oftentimes that's going to be a lot slower and a lot longer for them to be more confident um with the kids and so on one of the things i always say is food becomes a great motivator in this circumstance so have the kids feeding the dog because that'll actually um encourage the dogs to sort of go oh this kid's all right you know bringing me food can't be too bad um no need to be scared and there's, uh, there's other avenues for play and so on, but getting the kids involved in um, looking after the dogs uh, makes it a bit easier for mum and dad, but uh, it, it actually encourages the dogs to, um, to interact more. So sometimes if, say, there are no kids in the family, the dogs might be more attached to one person than the other. Say some True. dogs go to... Yeah, they will. Do and they normally go to women more, more easily than to men? Oh, Danny, what are you... I I wouldn't say so. I can't say. No, they don't really discriminate. 
<laughs> so cat, some dogs might be cats warm. are a bit different though. Ah. They they can they can be warmer to one person in the household than the other. Uh, typically, as we've discussed before, the person that spends more time with them, the person that feeds them, they will bond with that person, won't they? Yeah. yeah. And we were talking to a caller last week about how to encourage a dog to socialise and using food in and um, feeding patterns. Uh, so if there's one person who's being a bit ignored, they become the food provider for a week and um, then the shoe's on the other foot. Mm. Mm. So will loud noises um, startle dogs the way they startle people? You know, that's one of the, the inborn fears, isn't it, or the fear of loud noise for people? Yeah, um, yeah yes, they do, certainly, and dogs respond to things like fireworks and thunderstorms, you know, um, quite quite severely with anxiety and can get very distressed um i think it also depends on um the first year of its life and what it's been um introduced to and there's some dogs that have done so many different things and the owners have taken them everywhere and they've met everyone and heard everything that generally not really much um you know scares them so that's a later so, on that's, yeah that's a socialization that's right thing that they're out there yeah. and, and seeing the full spectrum of noises and things but i guess if they get you know um when you say loud noises is is it appropriate to be sort of reacting and alarmed um and sometimes it is um so you know anxiety is a whole different you know that's that's another problem yes so socializing an animal within a family type setup either with or without children um is that uh is food the best way of doing that uh, it's a it's a starting point. It's an, it's not the best way. Okay. It's not the best way. Attention and um, there's a whole area of of behaviour modification therapies, which essentially revolve around establishing the relationship, and in some ways the hierarchy, and rewarding the pet. And so food becomes the initial reward, but pets will easily transition into, um, you know, pets and attention. And it's often uh, a whole lot easier to provide that because you may not always have dog food with you when you want to, you know, you take them for a walk or whatever. And you'd probably be smart to take a few little treats with you because particularly when you're training, you get to the corner and you ask them to sit and they're right at your left side. So they get a food treat as a reward and a pat on the head and some praise. And gradually then you remove the food and the praise continues. And so they're still looking for that because dogs are very much... So, you know, almost servants of people. It's not really the word I'm thinking of, but, you know, they, they, they like do value be. that relationship mm. and they get a lot out of it as well as what we do. You're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat and 49216216. That's the number that David has rung to get his question through to our David. <laughs> Hi, how are you going? Hi. How are you, David? What's your question? Um, I have a young pup. That's our first family dog it's a Jack Russell around four months old mm-hmm. and I, I don't, I'm not very good at training or, or don't know what to do exactly but it's it won't stop biting and, and yeah obviously think it's playing but you know it doesn't matter what I try and do it it won't stop and if I move my hands it, it just keeps going and bites anything basically there's um there's a number of strategies that you can use. There's a very common problem that we see, particularly in these little terrier breeds. Four months of age, it is a play behaviour, but all play behaviour is practice for later. So we need to um remove it from remove the behaviour. And the way to do that is um the first thing is don't put your hand in his mouth. 
Um, I'm not saying that you are, but I've seen so many people that have come in and go, he's always biting me, and they've got their hand around his face. I go, well, that's what puppies do when you put your hand around their face because that's their natural behavior. So the play behavior is the reward if it continues. So the first thing to do is just um, straight away, if he does bite or nip, is that's the end of it, end of play. Yeah. So it's a bit of cold turkey. End of play. Give him only a few minutes or a minute or so. Um, the other thing you can do then, uh, and then you can come back and start playing, but the other thing I also like to do is to turn it into a positive behaviour, is you ask them to stop, take your hand away, then ask them to do something. And at four months of age, you should be able to sit on command. And so by doing that, then you can give him praise for um, the sitting. Now, you want to have a bit of a gap so that it's not like, oh, he bites me and you just automatically say, now sit and give him praise, because his brain won't really, he won't be sure exactly what he's getting praise for. Right, okay, yeah. And when I say praise, yeah, food rewards as well can be used. Um, So what you need to do is you stop that behaviour, step back, and then ask him to sit, and that way you're turning... Um, you're doing a couple of things. You're you're reinforcing the relationship that, yes, if you do good things, you'll get praise. If you do bad things, you're going to get ignored. So there's the best punishment for a dog is to ignore them. Um, but you also you always have to follow up with something positive because otherwise if you ignore them and just ignore them, then they'll just become destructive. Yeah, okay. well, that's the thing because I can't... If I ignore them while he's inside, he just... You won't take no for an answer sort of thing. He was always on top of you or doing something, you know, so... Yeah. Then I put him outside, then there's a gap, so... And you need some time out time for him to to settle down. And when they get more excited and so on, then the behaviour becomes a bit more intense and it's harder to get him out of that cycle. So you just need to be very aware of how, where he's going, like, if, is his behaviour escalating? Have you got control? Can you get him to stop? As I said, um, Jack Russell, you can stand up, move away from him, and then ask him to do something. If need be, put him outside, give him a minute or two, and then go and um, ask him to sit and give him a reward. And that way he'll gradually start to realise that, oh, hang on, when I bite, I'm getting either put outside or ignored or whatever, but when I do when I do what they want me to, um, then I get positive uh, feedback. Yeah, right, okay. okay. The other thing is they do grow out of it. Right, okay. I'm not, that too. Not, com- not completely, but yeah. it'll just make it a bit easier. David, repetition with any training, though, it, it is always important. You've just got to do it constantly and maintain the same standard. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah. Good All right. luck. Good luck with that, mate. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, mate. Bye. See ya. I, I don't suppose Jack Russells are any different from other animals, other dogs, are they? Other well, they're a, they're a little terrier dog, so they're... They I mean, they're, they're feisty. They've got great temperaments. They've got a huge amount of energy. They're a bit of a live wire. Do you know the <laughs> num- number one dog that we get that comes in with snake bite? Jack Russell Terriers. Yes. So they're really curious, inquisitive, want to know, want to be on top of everything that's going well, around. Well, the funny thing is with snake bite, it's always when they bring one in, I say to them, oh, where's the other dog? And they go, oh, he's at home. How'd you know we had another dog? There's always two. Uh. One gets the tail and one got the... <laughs> the other end. (laughs) So bring them both, in fact.
<laughs> well, just it depends whose turn it was. I've literally seen people who've had like two Jack Russells, and it's like, oh, he got bitten last time. It's his turn now. <laughs> Can I change the subject uh, and just say that uh, you are listening to Two and You RFM's Pet Chat four nine two one six two one six. If you've got a question you'd like to put to our team. And uh, my change of subject is about cat cafes. Tokyo has developed a uh, uh, an interesting thing. It's been a big hit in Tokyo. What does a cat cafe involve? Well, customers go in, they take off their shoes, they sanitise their hands, <laughs> they uh, put a bag into a, their bags and things into a locker, and they take an ID card, and then they find a seat, sit down, make themselves comfortable, sip tea and receive visit- visits from the resident cats. Wow. There are rules, of course, uh, and the rules could include that there's nobody under fifth grade, so reasonably sensible people, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> if a cat resists being held, uh, don't hold it. Bring no food at all and never wake a napping cat. <laughs> well, that's an interesting thought, one. I thought it? it was going to be a cafe for cats. Well, it's it a is cafe sort of. with cats. Yeah, it's a cafe. Do they have like cat a latte or something like that? <laughs> Catachino. <laughs> yes. I, it's Tokyo, so it's probably all tea. And maybe uh, yeah. yeah, it's tea. Maybe they're named after the breeds of cats too. Oh, wouldn't that be a good idea? Different, <laughs> different tea brands. Yes. So I'm just I'm amazed that someone's turned it into a business idea because you know the whole whole image of. Places there's oh there's a cat that comes and walks around your feet and that was just the cat it wasn't like <laughs> we went there to look at the cat it was just there's a cat there well you'll be interested to know that uh, the idea started probably two years ago and there are now thirty nine cat cafes oh in Tokyo so it wow. is big oh, see, business they're very feline deprived over there they need some smooching well you know there's so many cafes I guess that's a, a point of differentiation isn't it. Well, yeah. cafes, what do you yes. think, Danny? Would it, would it fly here? Would we, we could do the cat cafe and, we'll have the, to, and, and get a vet check at the same time. Well, no, it's the resident <laughs> cat. I think that might work, but probably the crocodile cafe wouldn't go so well. No, that's right. Do they respond to being stroked? <laughs> yeah. Perhaps. 49216216 is the number for you to ring, and June has rung in. You've got a question for David, June. Yes, I have. Um, I have a little foxy, um, you know, cross Jack Russell. Uh, she has a lump on her shoulder, mm-hmm. front shoulder. It's, um, she's had it before and she's had them cut out. She's had it twice before. Uh, she's 15 years old and it's just come back again. Now, I'm just wondering uh, if it's okay to have it cut out for a third time or what is it actually? This is it? It's like a fatty type of fluid sure. thing. Is it in the same location? Yeah, exactly the same. It's in the same location. Yeah. And all th- like all three times it's been in the same location. Yes. Yes. Um and did you have a biopsy done last time or before? Uh or did they just say it was fatty tissue? Yeah, they just said it was fatty tissue. Yeah. It's a bit strange it's come back. Um Yeah. And how long ago was the last one? Uh about a year ago. Well, that's pretty quick, isn't it? And are there any lumps anywhere else on the body? She did have, um, the second time that she had it removed, she'd also had come up with other ones, like one on her back, uh-huh. um, one near her, you know, near her shoulder, next to that one. And yes. She had quite a few, two or three, and, um, yeah, they removed all them and they haven't come back at all. Well, they, um, 
if we're thinking the fatty tissues, we often see in older dogs, particularly on their trunk, they get these um, uh, fatty tumours under the skin. They're called lipomas. They're a benign fat tumour. And it could be that some of the cells have been left behind. Oh, okay. And what happens is they just plump up and, and grow again. Um, the other concern would be as if it's a malignancy. But at this stage, given the time frame, I doubt that it's you know a more serious cancer. Um, because they can get uh, a thing called a liposarcoma, which is a malignant fatty tumour. Now, they look a, quite a bit different, um, but then they're much more aggressive and yeah. they tend to spread um, quite wide. And if they, one of the things you would notice is that where the lump was removed mm-hmm. previously, uh, if you got a series of smaller lumps started to grow on the outside of where that was, yeah. that would probably indicate more likely a a, um, malignant growth. Oh, no, that hasn't happened. Whereas if it's growing back straight in the middle in the same place, then, you know, more likely to be a benign growth. But um, generally, if if that's the case in older dogs, we make a decision based on their general health and other um, factors, whether the skin is growing over, like spreading with it, or is it actually growing so quickly that the skin's starting to stretch and in which case it might need to be removed. Yeah. Removal of them then, if it's just coming back, means that it's just got to be removed in a much wider area. Mm, it's about the size of um, a large egg at the moment. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that, and they can, get, they can get very large. So, yeah. you know, sometimes there's a decision you sort of go, oh, well, we'll leave it. And then next thing you know, it's like, you know, a football. Yeah, you don't want that to happen because mm. it is awkward for her, you know, when she has to jump up on the chair or something, you know, she's and jumps back down again, you can see it sort of puts her off balance a little bit. So Yeah, if it starts to affect them, then I often think that um, given other health uh, parameters all being okay, then it's probably best to be removed. Yeah, I think it, it might depend on um, how long, the you know, the anaesthetic, how long she has to be put under for maybe because she's rather old. Yeah. Um, and they don't want to put, put her under for too long. Well, I always say age is not a disease. Yeah. just gives you more time to get sick. <laughs> <laughs> So if she's healthy otherwise, uh, then, yeah. you know, it's, just, it's worth considering. Yeah. And okay. we did have another Jack Russell that um, did get bitten by a snake too, by the way. <laughs> it happens. Thanks we for your... two of them, yeah. Yes, exactly. So, thanks for your call, <laughs> thanks, June. Thanks, That's great. And that brings us to the end of Pet Chat today. Thank you, David Tabret. Thanks, Jane. Thank, Thank you, Danny Boss. And we'll be back chatting about pets again. Yes, and mm-hmm. I'll, um, I'll be at the Million Paws Walk on Sunday at Morpeth. Uh, speaking at 11 o'clock, um, but everybody's encouraged to come along at 8.30 for the 10 o'clock walk. Bring your pets and register them.